Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. All right, it's confession time. How many of you have been in those pictures? That's why you were laughing. You are going, oh my goodness. Laura turned to me and she said, I think some illicit substances were used in some of those experiences because you wouldn't normally put yourself in those situations. How many of you would say, though, I, I've been stuck. I've got myself into a circumstance that was a little bit awkward and you don't want, and you don't want to call for help. That's the worst part. And it's when people have to actually have to come and rescue you. That's when things get really, really interesting. Well, I know today a reality of what we're about to talk about is that some of us, and some of you in the room and some of you watching online today, you're stuck. And so when you look at the images, you know, they're humorous and we connect with them because you go, well, how did you do that? But you're probably sitting in the room right now and you're not stuck physically like they are, but it might be in a completely different way, but you feel stuck. And so you look at your work, and many of us, we go to work, and we enjoy our jobs. There should be a big yes for everybody at Portico. We enjoy working, and we don't feel stuck. But there are some, and if you were honest with me today, you'd go, I really don't enjoy my job. And we see it, survey after survey. We see people that feel dissatisfied in their work. And here's what happens. You work, you put in an honest day's work, you get along with most of your employees, you know, some of the other ones you're not sure about, but you get along with most. And you do what you're supposed to do, and then somebody else comes into the organization, and it seems like they get accelerated into the promotional circuit, and you're left behind. Or they're getting the sales leads, or they're getting the contracts, and you go, what's the deal? I give my best to this organization, and I just feel like... I go home and I go, why do I do that? I I just feel so stuck in my job and I I don't enjoy it at all. Some of you have spent thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on your career. You've gone to university, you've gone to colleges, you've done advanced education, you have prepared yourself and you've spent all those hours and all that money and you cannot find the placement where you want to be. And so you're working, but you're in a less than desirable role. And if you're honest with me, you'd go, this is not what I intended to be doing with my life. And there are moments that you're at home and you go, I I just feel completely stuck. Some of you, you're married and you've been wanting to have kids. And you can't have kids. And for whatever reason, you're struggling with infertility. And then you see your other friends, they get married and they're pop, 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 pop. They're like rabbits. They have kids all over the place. <laughs> and you're going like, what's going on with them? And, and you know, you're, you smile. You're happy for them, right? I'm really happy for you. I'd be a better parent than you are, but I'm happy for you. <laughs> and so you feel stuck because you go, God, we've prayed about this. And how come you're not coming through? And so there's all these different kinds of stuck that we can experience in life. Some of us we feel stuck in our marriage, right? No, don't answer and don't look at your spouse. <laughs> Some of us feel stuck financially. We're just living paycheck to paycheck. And the reality is, as we know statistically, if you look as a typical representation of the room, that there is a large number of us in the room that if there was a crisis, a financial crisis, we'd be hooped. Because we're barely making our way through paycheck to paycheck. And so stuck comes in many different forms and many different styles. So what do you do when you're stuck? Now, this is what I love about the Bible. The Bible addresses things straight on. 
And we're in a letter. It's the letter of Philippians. Get your Bibles out. We're going to go there, and you can get the notes out. We'll take a few notes together. Get your app. You can follow along that way. And Paul has been writing to his friends in Philippi. Now, we're somewhere around 61 AD or so. Paul wrote the letter to the Philippians, and we know that his visit, first visit, was back in 50 AD, established a church community. Ten years, 11 years later, he writes back to them, and he shares a few things with them. And here's what we're going to look at today as we're making our way through this letter. Paul didn't mince any words. When Paul was going through a time in his life, he didn't paint it up and make it all rosy. He, he called it for what it was, and he said to his friends, he goes, I'm stuck. And we're going to have a look at what he says about this. Now, here's the difference, though. Paul went through experiences that radically defined his life and could have given him permission to actually live in misery, but he doesn't. And he repeatedly uses this word. He goes, rejoice. Be joyful. And you're going, no, 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 no. You're, you're struggling with infertility? He says, be joyful. Rejoice. You're stuck in a mundane job? Rejoice. You're having a difficult marriage? Rejoice. And you go, Doug, that's not pertinent to me. That's not relevant. I can't do that. So my goal today, and hopefully our goal together is going to be this, that when we look at what Paul has done and how Paul understands what God has done, that together we're going to have a few principles that are going to help us get unstuck. Good for you? All right. Now, here's what I want to do. The best way to do this, I think most of us, you don't need to raise your hands, but most of us would go, either I'm stuck right now, or I have been stuck, or you're actually working with people and you know that that's exactly where they are. What I'm going to give us today, we're going to have a great time in our growth groups, but there are three thoughts I want you to remember. Because in our seasons of life, we'll go through these moments, and these are the three thoughts that are actually going to liberate you when you're in a stuck moment of life. So let's get going. Let's take a few notes together. Get over to Philippians chapter 1, and we're going to read in verse 1. And here's what Paul says. Drop down to verse 12. We're going to pick it up from there. So Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. And as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I'm in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord, and they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. If you're going to take notes, write down the first thing. First thing to remember when you're stuck, your greatest opportunities are often born out of great adversity. Your your greatest opportunities really often come out of great adversity. It's when we're in our worst situations in life that usually if we give ourselves moments, that's where ingenuity comes in. That's where inspiration, that's where the leadership and the inspiration of the Spirit comes in. And we can actually have some of the most incredible responses to this. But it's how we handle it here. And if we don't remember to think about this, that when you're stuck... Don't feel like that's your permanent address, that there is an opportunity. And I'm going to show you how this works for Paul. Paul knew what it was meant to be stuck. Now, if you're new with us and you're on the journey, let me go back quickly. The letter to the Philippians, and Paul now being in Rome in 61 AD, we know that he's in prison there and he's waiting for his appeal to Caesar. But don't forget how he got there. You remember the story when Paul was coming back from his missionary journey and he came back to Jerusalem and everybody in Jerusalem said, man, there's all these rumors, Paul. People think that you've left the way and people think that you've denied Judaism and people think that you've turned your back on God and that you're some form of insurrectionist and that you're really, Paul, you're not following the way. And, and could you go to the temple and would you do your vows and would you offer your sacrifices? And, and even though we know that Jesus is the way, Paul, would you bring the community together in peace? And so Paul says, I'll do that. 
And he goes down and he does that. You can read that in the book of Acts. And while he's there, people see him and they go, that's the man who's been bringing Gentiles and he's been polluting our way. And it starts this mob riot and there's this insurrection in Jerusalem. The Roman guards have to rescue Paul. They don't know what to do because they realize it's a debate over theology. So they have him in prison. They got the upset high priests and the religious people in the city. And then there's a covert plan. We're going to figure out how to get Paul. We're going to execute Paul. And so Paul is actually silently rescued from Jerusalem. He's sent up to Caesarea. Everybody following? Remember the story? He's sent up to Caesarea under armed guard. Then they get him up to Caesarea. So think about this. This man went to Jerusalem to report on what was going on. There'd been a prophecy that you're going to be handed over. He said, I know that. And in Jerusalem, this entire mayhem takes place. Then they send him up to Caesarea. And he's in Caesarea, and he becomes a pawn of the political leaders of the day. And he appears before them, and they go, well, these are strange teachings, Paul. I'm going to put you back in prison for a little while, and I'll call for you when I want you. And this goes on for a repeated period of time, and new leaders come into play. And there's this political patronage and posturing, and Paul is simply a pawn. And they're using him. And nobody is resolving the case. And out of sheer frustration... Paul's in making his defense and trying to present the truth of who he is and what Christ is. And finally, in a moment of sheer frustration, when you're stuck, you do things. Paul goes, I appeal to who? Caesar. And everybody in the room goes silent. You appealed to the God of the land. To the God of the land you'll go. Well, that was okay, right? So Paul gets a free cruise, a Mediterranean cruise. Not so bad. He gets on it. Oh, you read the story. If you don't know the story, he got on the ship. It wasn't so much a Mediterranean cruise. They left at the wrong time of the year. Anybody been on a cruise, by the way, big boats? You ever hit big waves when you've been on the big boats? Aren't you glad you're on the big boat? Paul was on your life raft that was on your cruise ship. That's about the right size. Paul's on this ship. On his way there, they get hit in a crazy storm. Shipwrecks, left on an island, has to get transferred over to Rome. When he finally gets to Rome, if that's not enough, they should have set him free just for all of that. He gets to Rome, they put him under house arrest, and now he's under house arrest, he's chained to an imperial guard, and he's writing to his friends in Philippi, and he wants to remind them, if you think you're stuck, I've been here for years. I've been in this situation for years. And he could have gotten frustrated and really sort of vented his anguish, but I want you to notice, if your Bibles are open, go down to Philippians 1.12. Paul said this. He goes, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. That little phrase in there, uh, if you like to underline or highlight, it's that phrase, what has happened to me? Paul wasn't living in denial. He wasn't looking back at his life and saying, well, you know, and he wasn't minimizing or trivializing what he had gone through. He actually is pretty honest about it. He's got this full disclosure, and he goes, I want you to know that what has happened to me, and they're putting the story together and go, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then he's going to move on from that. But can I pause for a moment? A lot of us, when we're stuck, we don't get past this part of the sentence. We like to repeat, hey, I want you to know what has happened to me. And we just tell our story. And we keep telling our story, and we keep telling our story, and our story never changes because we're still stuck in the worst part of our story. And so we repeat it, we repeat it, repeat it. And here's what happens, because none of you want to say this out loud, so because I'm your pastor and I can do this, I'm going to say it out loud. When you start telling your story, we start turning the other way. That's awkward. But I said I'd tell you the honest truth today. 
It's because when people tell their story who refuse to move on from being stuck, after a while, you become a joy sucker. You suck the joy out of us. Can I say that? I did already. It's already out there. It's, it's live online. Because you haven't moved on and you haven't figured out how to get unstuck. And so what you do is you live in your misery and you make everybody else miserable around you. And then because we're Christians, we do the thing that we're supposed to do. We smile. And we go, how are you? And then we go, I should never have asked that question. That's got me right down in the weeds again. And, and, honest time, everybody? All right, honest time? And when you see people like this, you do your best to find somebody else close to them that your eyes are locked on to. You do, hey, I haven't seen you since five minutes ago. How are you? Because you don't want to have the conversation with the other person that you know has been telling you the same story over and over. Listen, this is not being unsympathetic or to trivialize the reality of our hurt. It's the fact that we are not doing anything with it. And Paul says, hey, I, I want you to know that what has happened to me. So Paul was honest about what happened, but he refused to live there because he said there's opportunity that comes in the middle of adversity. That when you're in adversity, you don't have to stay on your story. You can start to look at the possibility that comes out of the story. Because that's where the strength and that's where the truth of this is. And when we talk about being stuck, I want you to see exactly what's taking place. There's a wonderful story. Uh, former U.S. President Jimmy Carter, when he was the president at the time, was being interviewed. And it was one of these formalized interviews that was taking place. And so he was answering the questions. But one of the reporters, when it was off record, they were just relaxing, one of the reporters decided to have a casual conversation with the president, and he started to tell him about his personal life, and he said, you know, I'm just going through a number of things right now, and he began to lament his personal situation, and President Carter, very compassionate gentleman, he's intently listening to the man, and somebody had observed this, and after a while, the story just didn't seem to end, and President Carter politely leaned into the reporter, and he said, life just isn't fair. And then he stepped out of the story. Sometimes that's what we want to say because we get people who are so caught and trapped in their stuck place, they don't know how to get out of it. Our goal today is not to be unsympathetic. Our goal is if we're stuck, let's get out of there. And if somebody else is stuck, let's get them out of there. And so Paul says, so I do want you to know that what happened to me was real. It was personal. It was painful. There's full of heartache. There was full of disappointment. But I'm not going to be trapped by that. He says, I'm going to move on. So in fact, you go back and you start to see what Paul does here in the text, and it's powerful. Now, some of us, we get buried by our circumstances. In fact, that's where you are right now. You've allowed all the negativity and the hurt and the pain and the disappointment just to just kind of implode on top of you, and you feel buried underneath it all. And then there's others, and you go through the same thing, but you're planted and there's a difference between the two things. See, for some you're buried, for others you're planted. The net result produces something entirely different. Watch the screen. Isn't that remarkable? Yeah. And some of you are still watching that going, how does that do? How do you do that? See, for some of you, you're so underneath all of the pressures and the debris and the garbage and the dirt and the manure that you, you just can't blossom. And you don't give to that to allow new life to come out of that. And others, you understand what it is to be buried, to know that God has a purpose no matter what I go through, that I don't have to become discouraged or lost in it. Like Paul, I can say, hey, there's an opportunity here. And if I'm prepared for this opportunity, the best things are going to come out of my life. Jason Weinman understood this. Jason is a 47-year-old ex-Marine. 
And when he left the military, Jason was wondering what to do next in his life, but he had hobbies. How many have hobbies? You're a poor, poor group of people. Let's, thank you. How many have hobbies? There we are. Sure, we do. Maybe there's some you don't want to admit, and we should talk about that, but we have hobbies. Jason had a hobby. He went over to a public auction one day. Imagine being his wife, and Jason's at the public auction, government auction, and he said, honey, I bought something. Look at the screen. Jason saw a used military vehicle and thought, I could use that, and he bought that, and he brought it home. Imagine if you were Jason's neighbor. Jason, what's that for? Oh, I'm going to need it someday. You go, what was Jason going to do with that? Jason realized that there was value in this vehicle when he brought it home, and he said, someday I'm going to use this to rescue people that are stuck. Jason's been in North Carolina with his salvaged U.S. military people, rescuing people from the hurricane and bringing hope to people who thought there was no hope. There's opportunity in the midst of adversity. So when you look at this, I want you to go back, look in your Bibles, and go back in and look at verse 12. Now, I started it off this way, and I said, I want you to know, brothers, this is Paul, that what has happened to me, so he talked about the past, then he puts the application, and he goes, has actually served to advance the gospel. That what I was in the middle of, God was orchestrating into an opportunity. That what I thought was great adversity, God goes, guess what? I'm doing something that's bigger than what you can even imagine. And so while our limited understanding of our, of our situation can get us constrained by it all, Paul was saying, God has done what he wanted to do. And though I thought it was probably adversity, and it was, he says, God sees it as an opportunity. Think about it from this way. When you're stuck, it's not an obstacle. It's an opportunity. This is the word of Jesus. We just celebrated his table. John 12, 27. He said this, Now my soul is troubled. And what what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. So Jesus said, Father, save me from being stuck. And then he goes on, he says, no, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. When you're stuck, look for the opportunity in there. Remember that, that sometimes in your greatest adversity, opportunity is going to come. If you're taking notes, I want you to write down the second thought that you, you should reflect on. It's this, remember that your circumstances are secondary to your calling. That what you're in the middle of is really secondary to who you've been called to be. Now, we often, what we do is we dismiss Paul because, well, he's an apostle, he's an evangelist, he's gifted, he was off on a missionary journey, that was Paul. But remember Paul the man. That Paul the man was in the middle of being stuck, and he said, so all that has happened to me, God is using it for his purposes to advance the gospel. And he looks at his circumstances, and he said, my circumstances are secondary to my calling. Let me show you this. Look at Philippians chapter 1 and verse 13, and I'll read it for you. As a result... It has become clear to throughout the whole palace garden to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he goes, all that's happened to me, even though I could, you know, just complain and share with others and just sort of wallow in my misery, he goes, I look at it from this side, that what God is doing through me, he's advancing the gospel. And because of the chains that I have, my wrist is chained to an imperial guard. He goes, look what God is doing through it. So I I kind of visioned it this way because you know I would do this. Paul's in prison, and we know that he's got into Rome there, and he's under house arrest. And we also realize he's probably chained up to an imperial guard. Imperial guard, there were 9,000 troops in the imperial guard, 9,000 soldiers. These were the best of the best. These were the elite. Now, I shared a couple of weeks ago, remember context. 
Rome has already expelled the Jews. Judaism is already a superstition that's been outlawed. And the imperial elite Roman guard, they are instructed to guard who? And who was Paul? What was he? A Jew. So they're instructed to guard a Jew. Why don't we just kill him? That would be so much easier. Because we don't want him in our city. That's the attitude that Paul was stepping into. But Paul looks at his circumstances, and he understands that he would focus on his calling, not on his circumstances. And here's a beautiful part of it. And imagine this. Paul is now under house arrest, waiting to appear before Caesar, chained to an imperial guard. That means they're rotated in every couple of hours. And so when they get in there, and one of them gets chained up to Paul, and he's there with the guard, and he goes, what's your name? Brutus. Oh, Brutus, have you ever heard about Jesus? Uh, no? Good. I got nowhere to go. What about you? And for Paul, he would remember when he was back in Philippi, he went outside the city to find a place of prayer, went down by the river, he sat down, began to teach, and Lydia came over. So Brutus was instructed, you keep an eye on Paul. And Paul thought, he's got his eye on Jesus. And he goes, I'm going to keep an eye on Jesus. And while Paul is there, I can imagine Paul going, okay, Jesus, here's what we're going to do. They think I'm their captive. They're chained to me. They're my captive. And I get a new one every couple of hours. And so I'm going to tell them all about Jesus. So you remember what we did. And Paul, I could see Paul doing this. He gets in on the deal with Lydia. So Jesus, you remember. I went down to the river. Lydia came over. I spoke. You moved on her heart. She opened her heart, responded to the message. Let's get a couple of Roman imperial guards into the kingdom while we're here. How about that? And that's where Paul looks. And he gets the circumstances are secondary to his calling. And imagine if you were the guard. You're Brutus. You can't wait to get out of there. You want that chain off of your wrist. You got some crazy man trying to convince you that another man came back from the dead and was raised back to life. And you're going, you're out of your mind. Unless Jesus opens a heart, they're not going to receive the truth. So remember, when Brutus gets away from there, he goes home and tells his wife and kids, you're not going to believe the day I had. (laughs) The story of Jesus spreads faster when we live the truth of our calling and we don't get caught up in the middle of our circumstances. And then when Brutus comes back to work the next day, I go, you're on again. No, anything, anything but Paul. You're in there again. And the opportunity, and that's what I love when I look at Paul's story, and I begin to understand if we could do the same thing that Paul did, and he realized it's the circumstances that open up opportunity for our calling as who we are as followers of Christ to make a difference. Look at Philippians. Go to verse 14. Look what it says. And because of my chains, so Paul says, because of my, what I'm going through right now, Most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. And they dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without what? Fear. Fear. So Paul says, because of what I'm going through, my circumstances, my brothers and sisters in Christ are confident, they're bold, they're fearless. Friends, when you're in the middle of being stuck, you have no idea who's watching you to see how you respond to your circumstances because your circumstances can inspire them into boldness and courage and limitless opportunity. And we often forget to look around us because we think, oh God, you've got to get me out of the situation. And God says, no, no, no. I want to be glorified in your situation. I want to use your situation because your story is only part of it. But what you're going to do, and Paul says, look what happened to the believers in Rome. And look what happened to the rest of the believers when they start to hear his story. Go in, again, Philippians chapter 1. Go down to verse 18. 
Paul says, of all the things, he said, what does it matter? The most important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. He goes, this is the passion. I'll do another Mediterranean cruise if it'll get me a chance to share Jesus with another soldier. That's really what he's saying. Keep reading in the verse. And because of this, I... What's the word? The rest of you are not reading your Bibles. It's right in front of you. Because of this, I rejoice. Thank you. Because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to... Wow. Can you imagine the difference when we go through heartache and disappointment and pain in our life and we're honest about it and we share it with our friends, but the next time we see them, we don't go, hey, did I tell you what I was going through? You go, have I told you how I'm rejoicing in the middle of everything that I'm facing right now? That this job isn't working out, but I believe God's got a better job for me? That the loss of my family member has been deeply disappointing, painful, but that God's peace and His provision is greater than my loss, and I know that one day we are going to be reunited in this. When we learn how to rejoice and how to be joyful, it changes the perspective. And Paul, for, for Paul, being stuck is just an opportunity to say, here's my calling, and it's important for us to move on. If you're taking notes, write this down. Number three, focus your response on the who, not on the what. And very intentionally, I use the word response. Sometimes we say focus your attention, but attention doesn't mean there's action. Focus your response on the who and not the what. Here's what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 1, drop down to verse 21. And Paul says this, For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me, yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart, to depart and to be with Christ, which is better by far. But it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And so convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Wow. Now remember, these words are being written by a man who was not sure what the next day, let alone the next hour, was going to bring. What kind of mood is Caesar in? What's going to happen when I appear before? He didn't know. So he didn't know what his life was going to be within a 24-hour window at best. But here's what it was. Paul focused on the who of his circumstances, not the what. He didn't look at all the challenges. He kept his eyes firmly and resolutely fixed on Jesus. You've got to catch this. When you focus on the what, you are going to be limited by your ability and your resources. When you focus on your circumstances, you are going to be fully limited by what you're able to bring to the table. What is my skill? What is my strength? What is my knowledge? What is my wisdom? What are my resources? What can I do to change this? Now, we, we do bring that, but when you focus on the who, you focus on Christ's ability, and it's limitless, because Paul would say to us, if the power that raised Christ from the dead is in you, he can quicken your Mortal bodies. Anybody want a new body? I do after three services every Sunday. (laughs) Yeah, just talk to me when service is over. I'll tell you, Lord, I would love a new body. Because there's just times that we go through this, but I love what Paul does. He focuses on the who of his story, not on the what of his circumstances. And then he says this, and this is powerful. He says, for me to live is, tell me, and to die is. Now, we love to take that verse and pull it right out of the story. 
So we use that and we throw that out. And sometimes rightly applied, we give it to people and go, hey, just remember for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And we use it very, very simply without the season of the context when Paul knew that he just might die. So for me, it's easy to use it on Sunday morning. I'm pretty sure as long as I don't upset my wife, I'm probably not going to die today unless the Lord chooses otherwise or I use the wrong sermon illustration about her. So those are two things that I keep in balance. But I can use a verse like that, but Paul didn't throw it out there just sort of glibly. He was very intentional with it. And for some of us, we almost view this like Paul was, you know, this wonderful motivational speaker. He's the Tony Robbins, the Zig Ziglar, the Susan Omri. And he gets up there and he goes, hey, everybody, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. Okay, repeat it. Everybody, we pay big money to go hear a motivational speaker, right? So we get in the room with them and they give us these little pith, you know, pithy phrases and we go, oh, I love those. Okay, repeat after me. And so we're shouting back at these motivational speakers. And sometimes we think that's who Paul is here. So we see Paul in the room and you know, we paid this big money and we go, yeah, yeah, that's what it is. And so you're in the room, right? You're here. I must be online. I'm preaching the wrong way. Thank you for being online with us this morning. But we, f- we forget, we- we're all in the room, yes? Okay. And so I'm up here. You're, you're my audience. I'm your motivational speaker. I'm going to help you today. You paid big money. You gave offerings today, right? Some of you didn't give. I know who you are. So we get in the room and we've given our offerings and you're up there. Come on, dance, Doug, perform, show us. And so I got something for you. For me to live as Christ to die is gain. Repeat it. For me. Oh, you're pathetic. Oh my God. I'm going to make good money from you people. I'm going to charge you double next week. Do it again. For me to live as Christ to die is Yeah, that's what we do. So we hold this and we get really excited about it. And we go, that was a great service today. And Paul goes, I'm stuck. I'm stuck. But for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And his friends receiving his letter would understand exactly what Paul was getting at. That Paul knew that he didn't know if he would be alive. But this is where it even gets more and more interesting when you stay in the story here with me. Drop down to verse 22. Paul says, if, if I'm to go on living in the body... This will mean fruitful labor for me. You see that? Paul goes, if I continue to live, I'm going to live. I'm going to choose to give the best. That if I'm, trust, if I'm still breathing, I'm still trusting, so I'm still serving. That was Paul's attitude here. He focused on the who, not on the what. He goes, if God's given me breath, then I'm still trusting in God and I'm still going to serve God through it all. And here you see Paul. And then, I love this. And he says, and if I'm dead, I win. This is remarkable to me. He goes, I would love to die. Whose prayer is that today? We don't pray that prayer. But Paul did. Paul said, if I die, what does he say? I How come? How come? It's because his relationship with Christ was so powerful. Circumstances did not prevail upon him. Christ prevailed upon his circumstances. And he was so intimately connected with Jesus in the moment. He was always connected with the who, that no matter what was going on around him, he goes, even if I can live, I am going to be fruitful in my life and I'm going to give the best and people are going to know about Jesus because Jesus is going to live through me in the moment. And if I die, all the better. 
because I'm going to be there. I've said this so many times, please hear me again. As Christians, we should have the best death theology on the face of the earth. We do not fear death. Death has already been defeated. We don't fear death. Do we mourn loss? Yes, we do, but we don't fear death. So we know that if I were to die, I'm in the presence of Christ, and those who trust Christ, I'm going to see you again anyhow. And if I get there before you, I got a Harley, and I'll pick you up at the gates. (laughs) It's going to be good. And Paul goes, I'm choosing to live because I know that I'm going to gain in this story here. And yet he says, and if I live, and I think I should still live, that's what he said, because I can produce more fruit for you, and I know that you need me to continue to live. Where are you stuck? Where are you stuck? Marriage? Finances? Paycheck to paycheck? Relationships? Envy? Sexual temptations? Where are you stuck? We all have it. There's a myriad of places we're stuck. There are three thoughts that'll liberate us. If you realize that your greatest opportunity is actually in front of you right now in the moment of great adversity and that you don't have to focus on those circumstances. Remember your calling. And the way you do that is you focus on the who. You don't focus on the what. Can we do that? Let's do it. Father, this prayer is a prayer for all of us. It's a prayer that you would help us to recognize who you are and what you're doing in our lives. That when we speak the words for me to live as Christ and to die as gain, that's just not some random saying. That is an expression of joyful expectation that I know that, Lord, while I breathe and while I trust, I can still be fruitful in my life. But even, Lord, if circumstances warrant that I should die, it's still a win because you're with me through it all. So we pray today that even if we go through desert seasons, may you be the rain, the refreshing, the joy upon our hearts. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now here's what I want us to do. If you're online with us this morning, I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. Could we stand? Just all across the room, stand to your feet. If you're at home, might feel weird. If you're driving, stay seated. But let's stand together. And as you're in this room, don't shift gears yet. Some of you are still stuck. And so you've got some thoughts, you've got some scripture to help you, and we're going to get into our groups and talk about it. But here's what I want us to do. I want you to express to God in the worship that we're about to do. Express dependence. Look for opportunity. And trust in Jesus in this. Because he's the one to lead us through it. That's a powerful statement to make. We just said, Jesus, in my stuck moment, bring new wine out of me. So here's my call. And I think we can be strong enough to do this in the room or family, yes? If you're going through a stuck moment, would you raise your hand? Raise it up high, just keep it there. Wow. Look around the room. These are your brothers and sisters. And it's good to own what we're going through. But friends, it's even more important that we take our attention like we just said and we get it onto Jesus. So as you got your hand raised, I want to pray for you. Keep it up. Just keep it up. I want to pray for you. 
And the rest of you, if your hand's not raised, then use your hand and put it on a shoulder right now because somebody just needs that encouragement from you. You don't have to talk to them. You don't have to ask anything. You can just pray. The Holy Spirit is in this room right now. Would you join me in prayer? And let's pray that God would lead us through this. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus today. And like Paul, we throw ourselves just at your feet because we know that we cannot do it through our ability and our resource. Jesus, you said, bring your burdens to me, lay them down, and you will release us of those burdens. And so we pray, Father, may you do that. Holy Spirit, you're in this room right now. Would you minister healing into broken bodies? Work miracles that people would begin to experience the joy and the fruit of their salvation and the power of deliverance from things that have got them in bondage. I pray for marriages and relationships that are broken and hands that are raised and they're going, Jesus, I don't know if I can do another seven days in the same home. I pray, God, that today there would be new wine released into those marriage relationships, into family relationships, that the power of renewal and the power of the cross would work. Father, I pray for people stuck in their jobs and stuck in spiritual challenges and stuck in sexual challenges. In Jesus' name and by the power of the Spirit, liberate us today. We don't falsely hope on something. We joyfully expect the freedom of the Spirit to come into our world. And we pray that it would come into our personal lives. And so, Jesus, we thank you for that and receive it in Christ's name today. Amen.